Welcome to the Ghost Army Podcast. It's me, Patchmas, your host. And with me today is the man, the myth, the legend, Brad. Welcome to the cast. Hello, Patch. Oh, I love that. Welcome, everyone, uh, to the Ghost Army Podcast. And yes, we have changed positions, and I am the host today. Well, not really, just for a short time, while Brad uh, lets me. Um, we also have a special guest, Adam. Welcome to the cast. Thanks, uh, Patch. G'day, folks. No, this is wonderful enthusiasm, hundred and ten percent from both our uh, both our guests today. Uh, Adam's a, a good friend of ours um, and resident here in Canberra in our local gaming group, and we are here to talk about Bolt Action CanCon two thousand and twenty four. Brad, yes, what are we doing today? We are going to run through some games. We're going to talk about uh, some general event thoughts. Um, maybe, you know, dig into um, our favorite parts. I did have a weird request. Uh, someone wanted to do a bathroom report because uh, apparently that oh. was a thing back on the Ghost Army days. I've got, I've got one thing to say about that before we go any further. Yeah. You know, men's health is a bit of a thing. Yes. And, you know, I, I ensure I'm all sorted out before game day, rocking up at the game. No need for me to be going visiting the bathroom. And uh, I went to do a number ones in there. It's, I think it was on the Friday, perhaps mid-morning. And the and there was only two toilets in there and a urinal, right? Yeah. The urinal was free, but the yeah. lineup was 12 deep to hit yes. those toilets. <laughs> yes. And I... I I just couldn't have done it. Look, I literally couldn't have done it. I don't know about you guys, but that was a, a difficult thing for me to um, to stomach. <laughs> I have to say, I had to think of J our good friends, uh, Judd and Dano from the Bolt Action Radio days because somebody mentioned the bathroom check-in. And I remember as they said that, thinking, you know, I I've been to the restroom so far this year. It wasn't that bad. And the very next time I walked in, Oh man, it was like walking into one of those tropical grottos or a fish shop. You know, the temperature goes up 10 degrees <sighs> and the stench and the humidity. It was like, what just happened in this room? I, I, I and think the though, line out the door was outrageous. It yeah. was look, it was it was a lot of a lot of men and mm -hmm. a and a very small amount of cubicles. So look, it was bound to happen. Um yeah, classic choke point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was it was a bit of a disaster, but uh, look, they I'll, I'll give it to the event. They kept it all very clean and tidy yes, and, yes. and accessible. So um, yeah. it was it was just a bit of a shock to me that everyone at that same time were were really needing it. And I think that probably goes down to the amount of alcohol that was drunk the night before and bad food. Mm -hmm. Well, in my case, uh, just to go to continue with the CanCon report. There were some food trucks uh, because this, for the first time, at least that I know of in recent years, uh, Bolt Action moved all the way down to the farthest pavilion, uh, which was as far from the main room where it usually is that I've been. Now, I've played it and I've seen it in other places, but this was all the way down. Fitzroy, and, Fitzroy Pavilion. 
the Fitzroy yeah, exactly. Pavilion. It, yeah, exactly. Fitzroy yeah. Pavilion. But you had to walk across a little field to go from the main pavilions to this one. And it was still a, a huge venue. Uh, but there were a bunch of food trucks in that little grassy area. And I made the mistake of having a lamb roll uh, for my lunch the first day. And um, maybe it's because I've been eating healthy and working out for the entire of, entirety of January, trying to get back in fighting shape for the new school year. But wow, I was not a happy boy for mm-hmm. most of the weekend. My stomach was killing me. <laughs> uh, but there was no way I was going to go anywhere near <laughs> the tropical grotto for the restroom. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, uh, it was a long weekend. Let's just put it that way. I actually thought those food trucks were, were such a great improvement on. Yes. Um, I'm not sure about you guys, Adam and and Brad. Like in the in the previous Cancons, there was always a little bit of a a struggle to get food in those little mm-hmm. cafes that they have, and just to walk out of the Fitzroy Pavilion and see. I think there was maybe four or five food yeah. vans. Five and yep. yeah, and and a ten minute wait max, and you could get a. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of food. All right, it's not going to be the greatest, but it's um, but it fills your belly. And, and I was pretty happy. I, I didn't have the same experience as you, Brad. But I didn't I was have a say, lamb roll. Boy, either. did it fill my belly! It felt like a <laughs> yeah, it was good not... though. There was an ice there was an ice cream van there as well, or a, mm. one that sold ice creams and yeah. milkshakes and things like that. That was good. Coffee. Yeah. Um, no, really, just just a vast improvement, and you can just see like the. I mean, this event is is just continuing to. Uh, it continuing to go upwards in in its ability to cater to the to the crowd. So, exactly. you know, I was I was very happy with the catering and um, I guess up front as well. But it's you know, uh, it is still a family friendly event. And as you boys well know, I, I took my eleven year old son with me for the entire weekend, and mm-hmm. we were co co generals. Um, he had an equal equal position at the table, and and he just had an absolute ball. Yeah. Everyone was super nice to him. At the start of every game, I would just explain to my opponent that my son's here. Would they mind if we played as a team? It's a learning experience for him. Uh, and, but ultimately, this is a, an opportunity for me to spend even more time with my son. And everyone was very, very happy with that. No one pushed back at all. And I thought that was super nice. But also, everyone was nice to him. I mean, you know, Adam knows him and you know him, Brad. And I just mm-hmm. thought it was a really nice environment. And he came home from CanCon and he's scouring the bold action rule book and he's asking mm-hmm. questions and he's he's getting excited and and the and and cancon went friday saturday sunday morning he gets up um you know we go and and do some training in the cricket nets like we do and then immediately he's like can we play a game of bold action today and i'm going buddy there is absolutely zero chance that I'm rolling <laughs> dice today. I was going to say, that's going to go one of two ways. One, 100% yes, or one, 100% no. Uh, but just to see, like, you know, maybe we as as big boys now kind of miss miss that little bit. But when you see it in, you know, through your own son's eyes, just that amazement, you know, that, that capture of such excitement and wonder and that is tabletop gaming uh and it you know it's such a refreshing thing uh but anyway look a great experience for us we we really enjoyed it but uh yes should we talk about uh just refresh our listeners into what uh yep go brad so bolt action's biggest event in australia traditionally and always has been at cancon and cancon is sort of the big show now we have lots of wonderful big events in australia 
as I said, CanCon is the big show. However, CanCon is also a convention of many, many game systems. And we uh, were lucky enough to be next to some good ones this year. We were next to Infinity. We were near Age of Sigmar. We were near the Warhammer 6th Ed event, uh, amongst others. The Age of Sigmar event was mind-boggling. It was something like 200 players, and wow. everyone came in with these wild boards. All the teams are coming from different places for different game systems, wearing different gear, tropical shirts to you know, weird onesies to everything else. And it was just a really wonderful environment to be in. It Everyone was cheerful. You know, everyone was excited to be playing the game that they were there for. But in between other people's games, you had people coming from all different game systems to check out Bolt Action. And Bolt Action players were conversely going to check out other game systems. Guys, if you have not been to a big game convention, it is so much, just so worth it just to walk around and check it out. But it's also so much fun. The camaraderie. I saw so many people that I have, haven't have seen in years uh, on the weekend. It was just a wonderful atmosphere. And then on top of that, you put the return of Pete West as one of the great bolt action TOs in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm not just saying that because he's my mate. He really puts on a quality show. And this year, Jason Drain and Drew Bax, uh, another former TO for CanCon, helped him run it. Um, the goodie bags were awesome that everyone got. Uh, the the prize support from War and Peace Games slash Warlord were amazing and War Games Atlantic. Going back to the event itself, the way it was run, times were solid. Pete was militant about this is when it starts, this is when it ends. Everything was organized. Nothing was forgotten. All the tables were in the right place. Everyone knew who they were supposed to play, what they were playing, and when they were supposed to play it. It was just beautifully run. As someone who runs a lot of events myself, man, from a tournament standing or you know standard standpoint, it was it was perfectly run in my opinion. Yes, there were some people who brought a variety of lists. Some were harder. Some were softer. But the way that expectations were managed going in, I didn't see anyone get feel badsies over the weekend because everyone knew what the expectation was and everyone was playing to it. Adam, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, I mean, we were using Tawny Keeper, the uh, online sort of thing, which I know Pete wasn't hugely enamored with. But from my perspective, it was... Um, just incredibly smooth on you which table which opponent and then if there was a particular mission there was like a little card to describe what was happening and on some of the tables there was like a card saying okay this terrain piece means this there was very little i didn't ask for i don't think maybe once like you, you always a lot of events you'd ask oh yeah tournament organizer got this rule query or whatever it was almost had no rule queries whatsoever um, it was just everything just rolled um, and everyone was just happy and content and doing their thing. And some people would be quicker than others, but no, it was just great. I think I had a couple of quick little squiz rule discussions. Wasn't anything serious. I think the only one that was a big one was my opponent in the last game had hadn't played a lot since CanCon the previous year and was still thinking some of those rules were in effect because last year there was a number of other rules put in. And when he popped my truck, 
um, just assumed that it was destroyed and didn't get rolled on the damage table. And I, I was like, no, actually, these are the rules. And he went, yeah, but CanCon's using different rules. And I was like, I'm sorry, those are last year's rules. But even again, that was such an easy <coughs> TO a question and they can answer it in five seconds flat. And then we we're back to having a good time playing. Patch, what were your thoughts about how the event was run? Oh, look, it was a, a Peter West special, isn't it? You know, he's a very experienced TO. Um, and and people respect him for that experience, also because he's seven foot two. That helps a lot. And yeah, the ability to, you know, everyone was there. We ran on time. Um, and that's a big deal. Uh, look, I, I'm not sure. I think out of, I played four games out of the five and I took a bye last game because my son needed to go to a party. But um, I only, I think I only finished one out of those four completely. But the timing was such that, you know, when Pete said dice down, well, you did dice down yeah. to, in order to keep to that. Whereas mm -hmm. I think in some previous CanCons, that's ran over a little bit and not been as sort of militantly enforced, um, mm -hmm. which creates that, of course, that caterpillar effect. Um, but no, it was, it was very good. Um, again, probably the only thing I'd say about the venue is, is it, it just consistently gets hot. Um, and there yeah. were some really sweaty bits, but I appreciated the breaks in between games. So we could pop outside and get some fresh air or walk around and, and then come back in. But overall, uh, excellently run. Yeah. Top notch. Yeah. I don't 100%. think the, the air conditioning in Fitzroy is as good as the, the main hall that we used to be in. Um, although the other thing that in terms of environmentals is still very loud. Um, oh, the noise the people talking across the tables and just the burble of, of playing, but it was all, uh, you know, enthusiastic, but just, you know, particularly for old codgers like me, it gets a bit hard with a bit more, bit of ambient noise out there. Um, oh, it was all good. A hundred percent, Adam. And, and that's something I'm noticing is, um, as my hearing, deteriorates in direct proportion to the line of work to which I've uh, engaged in most of my life involving loud bangs. Uh, and at my age now, I have a, 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 a lot of difficulty um, at that particular uh, wavelength where it's that murmuring, um, where you've got the background noise. And, and quite often I had to find myself around the other side of the table um, next to my opponent when, you know, I'm sorry, uh, really sorry. I, I just couldn't hear what you said then, or yeah. can you just say that again? Um, <laughs> it became a bit of a thing. I'm not sure how to resolve that because it's just such a big area with so many people crammed in and, and just so many excitable people yelling in everywhere yeah. and just general talking. I think I need you know, one of those dwarven ear, ear horns. A few old Civil War generals sitting there with the ear horns out. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> there's a, there we have uh, these range. I don't know if you've ever experienced them, but uh, range earmuffs. And what they do is they um, cut out a lot of the the louder noises and they allow you to hear people talking. Maybe I should get something like that. There you go. Mate, that's good. We didn't have that stuff in my day. <laughs> but no, great, really great experience, um, Brad and Adam, and, and I, I just walked away from the weekend very happy. Uh, should we talk mm. briefly uh, about what uh, what the tournament was in regards to, you know, that it was five games, etc. Just over the course of the weekend, five games, uh, 1,000 points per side, um, three games on the Friday, two games on the Saturday. Uh, it commenced at uh, 8.30 in the morning and would be finished by about 5.30 uh, 
uh, of an evening. Um, and then on the second day, the same time, but finished a bit earlier, clearly, because it was only the two games. Uh, we had 60 participants in bold action uh, this year, which is about on par with what we've seen. It was 72. And mm. then um, the week of, they had 12 drops. And unfortunately, you know, we've seen that a lot yeah. with Melbourne events at the moment. Unfortunately, a lot of bolt action events seem to be, and it's not just bolt action. I've talked to people who play other games and run other events. You know, it's just one of those post-COVID things. Um, we just, we're seeing a higher number of drops in Australia. And I've ta talked to a few people in other places, and it doesn't seem to be as bad. When you lose, what, a seventh of the field mm -hmm. uh, in the week before, that, you know, that feels bad a little bit. But we still had 60 great players and had a wonderful time. So, um, 100%, Brad. Like the, the thing is, like, you know, I've got a, a group of mates up in Newcastle and, and they were coming together. And unfortunately, life happens for them. And, and there was a, you know, a big chunk of that uh, group unable to make it. But uh, ultimately, it's a game, right? You know, this is a bit of leisure and real life always has to come first. So, I think. Mm -hmm you know, any tournament organizer would, would have an expectation of between 10 and 15% would probably, you know, not turn up on the day, but still to be able to go strong with a 60, you know, 60 person field, uh, was fantastic. You know, it, it creates a great event. Um, you know, too much more becomes a bit unmanageable. Like oh, I couldn't even imagine how they do that age of Sigma event. I think 60 is about par from what we've seen. Uh, I think you yeah. know, a few years ago, we might've got up to 70, 75, but, but that's about, that's about where you want to be at. I think. Yeah. And I think it was something like an eight game event. So it's a three day event. Oh. And uh, shout out to um, our good buddy, Smorgan, one of the dwellers crew who won it overall having only played five games and then left a day early because of work and still won. <laughs> Jeez. Well, it's a feat well, of stamina to play that many games. Yeah. This, the game fitness must be amazing. Yeah. Like, like I know for me, not having played three games in a day for a year, that was that was tough. Uh, that, that last game on day one is is fatigue game, right? Endurance game. Mm -hmm. Just got to get through it. <laughs> they're they're I, tough games. I still remember the last time I played because I used to go up and play fantasy at that at CanCon. Then it was always traditionally eight games, and um, I can tell you, at least two of the years after game seven, I was taking a nap under the table before game eight. <laughs> Yeah. True story. Um, yeah. Should we move on to, we should just go basically round by round, right? So we might just talk about game one. Before we do that, it, it does bear reminding that there were a couple of restrictions. If you want to go back to the last episode of the Ghost Army to go through the exact uh, tournament pack, we do spend a lot of time talking about it. We also spend a lot of time talking about our list. Now, Patch, you ran the list you talked about in that episode. 100%. I did something slightly different because I was painting a lot of other stuff. I couldn't actually get what I needed done for my list. So my list ended up being four Indian carriers, a generic Stuart, not the DACA Stuart. Um, I had a truck and then I had three 10 man squads of um, Indian soldiers with a free LMG because of the tournament rules. I had three five man regular squads with one SMG each. I had a blacker bombard and a mortar and um, something else. But uh, the idea was four Indian carriers zipping around with three squads to hold positions. Oh, I had a 25 pounder. 
So my list was pretty basic. I didn't, I just used the special rules where I got the free 10 man squad and I got the re-roll if I was going to be destroyed by morale, um, which actually never worked for me the entire weekend. So it's like I had no national rules uh, other than the free 10 man squad, but I didn't use any of the other British rules. So my list was pretty similar to what I was going to run and pretty basic. But do you know whose list we haven't heard? Adams. And I think that is particularly relevant because um, I seem to get my clock cleaned in game two. Adam, what were you bringing? Uh, I brought my Defensive Australia Australians. Uh, I had uh, liaised with Peter well beforehand and got special permission to bring my Sentinel tank and my Dingo scout car as they were um, in my, what I wrote for my uh, Defensive Australia supplement or Invasion of Australia supplement, I should say. Uh, so the, the Sentinel tank is a medium tank, Armour 9, uh, coax and hull um, MMG with a two-pounder light anti-tank gun, pretty basic at 180 points. The Dingo scout car, uh, which is what a favourite little model of mine, um, that's essentially armoured seven, closed-topped, uh, forward-facing light machine gun and uh, reconnaissance, and that was 60 points. Um, so they were the the key things I was excited to, to play with because Australia, I feel like unique Australian vehicles as, as they were, not particularly deadly. I didn't see too many people too worried about my light, my uh, light anti-tank gun and barely hit a barn door with a thing the whole night, although... As Brad said, I did clocky Stewart with it. So I had my HQ uh, submachine guns, a second lieutenant, and I had a Jeep to, to roll them around in. Two full squads of regular 10 men uh, to, to get the free light machine gun. I had my uh, three-man veteran scout squad with uh, submachine guns. I had a veteran sniper, a three-inch mortar, a... Bren, regular Bren carry with Pintle mount mounting uh, five commandos with submachine guns. Uh, my 18-pounder light anti uh, light howitzer, but which didn't get the 25-pounder uh, plus four uh, anti-tank round, so it's just plus two. Uh, and then I had my mighty anti-tank rifle. Um, I can't coming in soon. It's 14 dice. Nothing particularly deadly, but of course they ran the Defence of Australia rules, the ones that make them fanatic if they get charged, as well as being stubborn. Uh, and I find that the uh, those Australian rules, that Australian list, whether you're using for any variation in the jungle or, or whatever, I find that a particularly good list in the New Guinea book, which is one of my favourites. Um, and while not really a lot of great offensive power they're a great defensive army and i think a perfect match for the very offensive japanese so i think it's a great list it's great fun and there's lots of capacity and if you taking the the the, the unique vehicles was just fun i look cool they survived apart from the one game where i got Panzerfaust in the flank uh they survived all the battles which for me was my major victory um, one looking cool, I got to take my cool toys and they survived, so I had great fun. Surprisingly, hurling my, my scout car with his Bren gun up it all over the place, I, that managed to survive. So it was, uh, I was, I was dead chuffed. And, um, it's, it's a fun little army, and I like, uh, I do like the Australians, but I'm looking at bringing something new, um, next time around. 
Yeah, and the army looked phenomenal on the table. It looked really good, Adam. Clearly, you'd put a lot of time and thought into both the listing and the planning of that army because not only did you have a historical theme that you were running with, I mean, clearly you put the vehicle, the hard yards into those vehicles, and then also um, just the paint jobs in general. It just looked great on the tabletop, and it fit the theme, and it was just exactly the kind of army that we like to talk about on the Ghost Army. It was great. Thank you. Um, well, the uh, I did have some uh, some one-on-one lessons painting tanks with Patch a few years ago, and uh, it's that's been very helpful. Um, I find the, um, the, the Commonwealth plastic kit that warlord do great with all the australian hats and all the variety of hats that's a great box and so so versatile and uh i mean oh, everyone could just wear like the the tommy helmet but that just makes it boring you want to give the south africans a south african hat and what have you um it just looks cool so it's a great bit of kit and funnily enough the uh the Sikh heads in there as well got a lot of use um although most of mm. my army were medals from artisan I was I, I did I did get a box of the Commonwealth and uh, and threw in about a dozen different figures. A I'm really impressed with that plastic kit. Very versatile. Yeah. Oh, and just on plastic kits, my favourite kit I think that of all is probably the Universal Carrier kit. It's cheap. It's so versatile. It's a great model and and vehicle on the table for bolt action, uh, and you can make really nice conversions out of it because it's plastic. It is a Bonza kit. Mm-hmm. I, I will say though, Adam, you uh, you give me like really nightmares because uh, it triggers my hatred of this of trying to fit the sand skirts to to Universal Carriers from a few years ago. So I'm happy mm-hmm. the Universal Carrier is an amazing kit, but those sand skirts get thrown out as soon as it gets open. <laughs> uh, <laughs> judicious, judicious application with a very sharp knife, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some games, eh? Uh, well, speaking yeah. of universal carriers, Patch, you were running quite a few Indian carriers. Tell us about game Correct. one. Yes, I was. So, uh, yeah, just a quick rehash for the listeners. Um, I had a, a Sherman M3, A2, I think it was. Um, so no pimple mount being Commonwealth uh, and, and playing the Indian, uh, Indian army using British rules from the original book um, with the Burma selector. Uh, so the Sherman, then I had two Indian carriers as transports with the, the dual, uh, the front light machine gun and pencil mounted light machine gun, um, 25 pounder, anti-tank rifle, um, all my entire list was, was regular, except I had two five-man Gurkha squads with just rifles for the Indian carriers, and, and we can talk about them in detail as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I've got uh, three regular 10-man squads of um, just mid-war infantry. Um, and I think that I had a forward air observer. That pretty much made it up for about 13 dice. Um, I think that that should calculate around. And the special rule we used was up and atom, which was just, I think, is the best British rule going around. Up and oh, Adam man. combined with Gurkhas. It's just, it's just rude. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that that is that is rude. So, turn, uh, game one was a meeting engagement. Now, this was to shake off all the cobwebs. Um, so, I came up against uh, Sam, who had a US veteran-ish list. Uh, like, it was all veteran, except for a couple of, I think he had some inexperienced things there. Um and the dual 
Stewart uh, with all the machine guns in that list. So he had a lot of five-man veteran squads making up the vast majority of his sort of infantry forces, but uh, but his hard-hitting units were these two Stewart tanks. Um, first turn of the game, those Stewart tanks just kind of came on and just hosed down my 25-pounder, hosed down my anti-tank rifle team. Um, which only left my Sherman tank as having any capability to take on light armor. Um, he then spent the rest of the game with one of his Stuart tanks trying to hit my Sherman, which he did, I think, second turn or third turn. And subsequently, I never passed another uh, leadership check for that Sherman. <laughs> However, it didn't die. So it kept his attention focused, which is probably what it did. And the other Stuart just ran riot on a flank. Um it was a tough game, not going to lie. Yeah, really tough. Those Stuarts are just unstoppable um, when they take out a few things. And given the range of those machine guns and everything else, they're hitting your back line turn one. Um, and anything even remotely exposed, I think it was 20 dice per tank mm -hmm. uh, or something around that. Um, and anything remotely exposed just gets enough hits to take them out. Uh in the end, we I got a lucky airstrike. I know in the last cast, I spoke about my broken arrow air observer. I was never going to use him, but I had to do something with him. Yeah. And uh, uh, so it, that come in early game, it was it hit, it destroyed two of his five-man veteran squads, uh, which broke open the kind of middle of the table, and he couldn't really press his advantage from that point on. So in the end, um, the end of the game, uh, we ended up, I think he had one dice more than me, but that equates to a draw. So he got a few more points than me as well, victory points. But as far as the game results were, we walked away from it with a draw. And I was super happy because it could have got really bad. Um, and just goes to show that for points per model, those those DACA stewards are just unbelievably good. And that's what he said to me. He goes, I've only played eight games. And, and I just worked out that these were the best tanks. And yes, they are. And they are. <laughs> yep. Yes, they yeah. are. <laughs> well, yeah, that was me. As the other Seek player, I also uh, ended up um, having a little bit of experience in game one where I was uh, surprised that I didn't lose my uh, pants. I came into the event. I had played one bolt action game since May. I had thought June, but then I actually looked at my notes and uh, no, it was one. And uh, I was very rusty going into this event. Part of that was intentional going into the last couple times I played at CanCon. I didn't sleep the week before. A lot of anxiety, a lot of nerves, a lot of pent-up excitement ready to go. And I <clears throat> didn't want to play that way this time. And so I intentionally went out of my way to under-prepare. And I spent a lot of time thinking about other games and playing other games. I should have played at least one game with this army going in. I should have played at least one game of bolt action going into this because in the first couple of games, I would say the number one thing, the number in my first two games, my second game in particular, because then I got flustered and um, it became particularly problematic was I just got into sequencing mistakes and I, I got in my own head in the first game. And then by the time I got to the second game, I was well overthinking everything and I, I put myself to pieces so I needed to play at least one game into this, but I put my almost, you know, my very heavily mobile wheeled force down, keeping in mind, I have five wheeled vehicles on a bocage board 
against a veteran German army. Um, there were two roads to drive up, which he very sensibly set up all of his AT assets around. And there was no other way my vehicles could get anywhere. Uh, and I did my best to not lose that game, particularly when the very first dice pull of the game was his triple two, which destroyed one of my transports, threw a squad out, and then blocked one of the roads for all the vehicles behind it. And I had to turn around and drive around the long way all the way down the board to come up the road on the other side. That game didn't feel great. My opponent was wonderful. Um, it was actually a really fun, close game, but it was a challenge, and I'm happy that I pulled draw. I tried to hail mail <laughs> hail Marriott in the last activation to possibly pull a thin win. It didn't go my way and ended up as a draw. It should have been a draw, not complaining. I walked into that game going, oh, mm -hmm. I am rusty. And that board and those armies, ooh, and um, I'm happy with the result. So anyway, Adam, how about you? Yeah, well, I had my first game against uh, Dom and who had a mixed Australian and Scots force. Uh, he's a very canny player. Um, he had basically one squad of Scots, two of Australians. I mean, the special rule he took was rapid fire, so an extra dice for every three rifle, which is one of my favourite rules of the British. Uh, he had an A9 uh one of those british tanks with the twin turreted machine guns i think with the, we can also get the coax or the main gun so it's only armor seven but there's a lot of firepower and in one one and he had a sniper he had a mortar and i think there was a medium machine gun all the usual stuff but one interesting thing he took was three uh motorbike riders with some machine guns now i which of course the british and some of the lists can have those like three for in the one uh, recce slot. And mm -hmm. I like, uh, I've got a number of uh, bike co motorcycle combinations with a light machine gun on it for scouting recce. And they're, they're a great little bit of kit. And I thought, why would you choose the submachine gun over the, uh, the LNG? Well, soon found out. Um, incredibly mm -hmm. maneuverable recce. Uh, and then it was of like, yeah, this thing has got a submachine gun, so he's not going to pull the minus one for moving when he's mm -hmm. shooting at you. And all of a sudden, I'm going, oh, actually, that's really smart. I really, I was really impressed with that. So, so he he spread those out quite quickly, and it was a jungle table with which had a mix of buildings and and jungle terrain on it, and there was a little river on my left hand side, and both of us had like flanking units. Naturally enough, my Bren carry with my commandos came in on my left flank, which had to cross the river at one of the fords, and there was nobody there. Um, so they had to make a long dash when they finally came on across to the middle. Uh, and Dom pretty much put all of his reserves, which I think had a, a truck with his Australians, and I think all his infantry with veterans as well. But they all came in on like the same spot at the same time. So he kind of boxed himself and blocked himself in a little bit. And it, and sort of I had a one one of my big squads there and sort of exposed. And fortunately, because they were stubborn and they were going down, even though they got whittled down with firepower from his sniper, his squads, and then he brought his A9 around, they hung about for a fair while until, uh, uh, until my stuff got a few kills in the middle and then my, my um, Bren carry came flying across 
late and then sort of managed to take out his sniper and get in his backboard. Um, so it was a really challenging, tough game. Um, you know, we, we both had a bit of a ping each other with our tanks with no joy. Um, but it ended up a dead draw. So we're like, uh, and with 14-14, uh, really close battle. And I thought that was, it was a really good game. Um, so I learned something new. I've, I always love the little motorbike recce things, but motorbike recce things with a submachine gun, give that a thumbs up. That was cheeky and I liked it. Particularly when you're going, oh, hold on, one of these things can be play play these little games and you can't quite leave leave it alone and it's it's cost them almost nothing but you might have a full squad or a, mm-hmm. or a support weapon that you want you'd rather be looking elsewhere but you've got to deal with this thing, this thing if you can and because it wreckies as well you just go oh this is things like an annoying fly but yeah. i think i managed to kill two of them at least so that was uh, it was a cracking game mm. so draws mm. all around that's that's not a bad way uh now Round two, I, I can't recall the name of the mission, but it was an objective-based mission. Whatever, like a supply drop. I think was that game two, supply drop, or was it that game was three? Game. Was supply drop? There, was, there were. It was th- D three plus two. That's correct. Yeah, objective. that's right. Whatever. Yeah, that and you yeah, just had to place them twelve inches apart, and so yeah. you ended up having sort of six. We had six objectives on the table. Um, now I played Adam, and he had uh, he organised for us. To yeah, I was saying, not this Adam, because I played no. this Adam. <laughs> um, Adam brought a couple of uh, amazing terrain tables, and one of them was a Burma table. So he's like, oh, Patch, Patch, you know, I'm playing you, and, and I've got a table here that's a Burma table with terrain genuinely from Burma. We're like, we got to play on that table. Uh, so we organized with the players who are already on there to shift across, and, and they could play uh, in the snow, I think it was, and let the uh, seek and his... He was playing like a, a British D-Day list. And so we ended up playing in the jungle, a beautiful table, very close terrain. And I remember looking at it at the start of the table, thinking to myself, this is uh, this is not going to be a high killing game. And, and that's exactly as it turned out. One of the things with that game was that I learned just how good a Gurkha squad could be. So a five-man Gurkha squad charged a... I think it was a 10-man veteran paratrooper squad and uh, didn't take any injuries, but killed his squad. And that was a tough day. And he just looked at me like, what just happened? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Gurkhas are broken. And and the reason why Gurkhas are broken, if if anyone's sort of wondering, is that um, you have the opponent's ability to attack you. So if Mm -hmm. you get the, effectively get the, the, um, the drop on them and get to attack first and i think i i killed maybe three or four of his dudes in my first attack which reduced his squad down and then he just fluffed his roll and all of a sudden his whole squad is dead because i think yeah if i killed three of them it was seven maybe half that rounding up or whatever it was he might have got four attacks and just fluffed it um yeah and the whole squad's gone and we both just stood in shock for a few seconds going that's just incredible um he had a classic bolt action moment he had a, a, a piat team who he did everything he possibly could he he was a great general a very experienced player uh, my sherman was running a muck down his flank and he's brought this Piat squad up and uh, he's missed with the first shot. And then I've subsequently put my machine gun in and just did a single pin. 
Uh, that single pin, the Piat team failed to do anything except for foobarring <laughs> and just ran away. And he's just looking at me like, I just can't take a trick. And I'm like, no, mate, you can't. No. Um, and in one, he did a flank attack uh, with, with his uh, truck full of veteran engineers, which copped a Sherman point blank. 75-pound Sherman point blank. Um, it went up in flames, and then uh, my squads converged. But ultimately, in the end, I think I only killed like maybe four or five of his units, and he killed maybe two or three of mine, um, and we ended up getting a draw, which was a fair yeah. result on that table. It was a really tough table to play, and something I probably wasn't as used to was was in both my games so far, the terrain was very, very dense with limited firing lanes. Mm-hmm. Um which made the uh, my army particularly deadly once you get up close with because mm-hmm. of their very assault focus. But um, yeah, look, great game. Had a really good game against him, but but again, come away with a draw. Well, I went into the second round flustered because I was making rules mistakes, and I knew I was making mistakes, and I didn't want to make mistakes. And then the very first thing I did was deploy poorly, and then I. Had, I was still making sequencing errors. What I mean by that is like I was activating things in the wrong order and I was playing event against a very cagey player. And I'm not just saying that because he's on the show. Adam 100% outplayed me. I was playing against two people, Adam, who was playing brilliantly and myself at the same time. Um, and then somewhere in there, my dice stopped working. But not to make any excuses, Adam played it beautifully and... Um, like I haven't been beaten that badly since first ed. It was embarrassing, very humbling. And my only regret, really only regret, and I've said this to you a hundred times, Adam, was that I didn't give you a better game. And I want to rematch just not to reclaim honor or anything else, just so I can show you that I can actually play this game. <laughs> I'll never in doubt. It was grim. I'm sorry, my brother. That was not good for you. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting from my perspective. And the funny, amusing thing for me was I'd brought, I'd said to Pete, I'd set up a table and then we ended up actually now playing on it, which was a desert table. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than having like the usual sort of townhouses and sort of villages in the desert, I wanted something that was a bit more, um, uh, less buildings and more ruins. So I'd, I'd bought some, uh, some of the Gale Force 9, like ruined desert pieces. Uh, I'd made some of my own hills and I had a couple of the old conflicts, desert, uh, ruined buildings. So everything was sort of like lots of hard cover around the place. And there was a few, but other than it was relatively a lot of space to, to, um, in the open. Yeah. Uh, my deployment was, and the objectives were, were spread relatively evenly, although three were kind of near the middle with one sort of out to my left and Brad's right. Yeah. Uh, and I'd pretty much just put my, my howitzer to cover that area because um, Brad didn't have any troops up there late. And I thought, well, I'll stick something there at least because I didn't think the weapon arcs uh, over the, the the right were going to do much good. And then I kind of deployed centrally with, with my anti-tank rifle behind some heavy cover on a hill uh, covering that right. And it was, I mean, Brad's uh, like those Indian carriers because they move like grease lightning being wheeled twin pintle mounts on them it was like and then of course whatever troops they had in them i was going oh lord these are going to be tough tough prospect but i mean brad gives me a lot of credit there but there was a lot of uh a lot of judicious pinning going on and, and a lot of luck on my part um 
because I was, I was just spraying pins all over the joint and then sort of like Brad was failing some of his leadership checks to, with, with those pins, which didn't help. Uh, and probably in there were two key moments, I think, were, which were pretty indicative of how the game went. Uh, I'd had my three-man veteran squad sort of like forward in the sort of in the kind of like the middle area behind hard cover. And I thought, well, there's an objective near there. I'm going to send them forward and sort of be a block. And then shortly afterwards, Brad sent up a full 10-man squad. And then that was supported by an Indian carrier with some troops in it. And my three guys, the squad just wouldn't die. They did go down from three down to two, but that combination of being stubborn, going judiciously going down, uh, I just then sort of, and then I was bringing other support and firing into the area just to try and support them. But Brad Whittle and that squad down to one man, and even with three pins on it, I'm passing leadership checks that he's popped up, point blank range, giving a little burst, taking casualties on the on his squad, which has gone down. And then, and then it's like the next three turns is like two pins. Yeah, I don't care about that. Pop up, have a blast. He rushes up his, his carrier and I'm firing everything at it. So that soon's got four pins on it. And that was just like my, my, my scouts just wouldn't go away. Uh, and then the other thing was there was Brad had his big truck with us, another squad of infantry on it. And naturally my mortar then pops up and then drops around on it on a six causes casualties um second round uh cause a bunch of pins second round i land on top of it destroy it the guys spill out with with some pins and then it's the follow or i don't i think it was that same turn my my uh my bren carrier comes in from the flank into the rear of his 25 pounder and then pro promptly brasses up the squad that spilled out of the truck and that was kind of like yeah it was that kind of day for me and that kind of day for brad it was a lot of good luck on my part and bad luck on Brad's part. Um, but I certainly wouldn't uh, be taking that victory to the bank in terms of any future games. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You played it, KG. You knew where to put the pins. You saw that I was struggling to pass leadership tests and you put the pins. Like, you could have easily kept shooting things because I was taking two to three pins on units and then failing rally checks left, right, and center. Rather than continuing to focus on those, you very rightfully knew they weren't doing anything and then started piling pins on other units. And so there got to be a point. I, I don't think I literally passed an order check in that game. Um, I, I, and that includes that, rally checks. That was a major advancement for me because I have a tendency to just get a bit of bloodlust and sort of like try and kill everything. Yeah. And I have, to the extent sometimes I've actually marched off my own objectives and lost a game because I, <laughs> I wanted yep. to get forward and sort of kill all the units when it's sort of like, that's not what the objectives are. So for me to sort of like, it was like, okay. And I, there were a couple of games where I'm sort of thinking, well, there's, I don't need to do anything that you're talking about the sequencing. I didn't need to hit that unit because it's already got a couple of pins on it and he's moved. Exactly. So this this other squad that hasn't done anything yet with no pins, I'm going to try and at least put one on them to delay yeah. uh, and, and share the love. So I, because I, I normally I just get a bit carried away and sort of like piling on one and get a bit of that bloodlust and, and, and yeah, you, you very effectively pin manage me. And I felt like I was drowning for most of that game. So yeah. At the end of game two, Adam's got his tail up. 
He's had a he's had a good win, and uh, and Brad's got his tail down. He's uh... I did feel bad because I did feel like yeah, it is Brad. I thought, oh, Jesus, you know, I've it's been around the hobby for a long time. He's played bolt action a long time, and it was like that's not quite the game I'd like for our first. There's there's yeah. some karma there, Adam. There's some karma. There's also oh, swings yeah, yeah. and roundabouts. Uh, yep. I still hold it against Brad with that flame flaming Hetzer from our very first game in about 2015 <laughs> or 14. So look, I don't mind seeing Brad lose. It's okay. Uh, I'm good with it. But it was um, in so, very good spirit, so it was but, great. Uh, my team, uh, being my son and I, uh, we're actually really chuffed at this point. Heading into endurance game number three, we're undefeated, mm-hmm. and for us, um, we're we're on a high. Like we're literally just going. We're we're undefeated here. We've had some great bold action moments. We're having a really good day, um, and we're going to push through into the third game. Now, the third game was supply drop. Uh, just to uh, just to refresh on that, uh, both uh, you know, start on your own deployment area. And then at the start of turn four, you have uh, three objective markers come in. Uh, it's all determined on the random determined on the dice as to the distance they're apart, as well as the diagonal to which they come in. Um, the table I played on was a desert table. Uh, I'm not sure if it was your one, Adam, but it had a few ruins, a little village in the middle, a couple of hills. Uh, and uh, what was interesting about this table is it had a sandstorm going on. A little special rule with this table, where at the end of every, at the start of every turn, you rolled a d6, which determined uh, if that sandstorm stayed where it was, or it moved in a particular direction, or it dissipated. Um, the sandstorm started smack bang in the middle of the village, um, in the middle of the table. So we had a fair bit of effectively the we couldn't see past it. So it was a bit cagey in the first sort of couple of turns. We were maneuvering around, trying to get positions, a bit of artillery going on. Um, we lost a few units each, but nothing big, really setting ourselves up for that turn four push towards the objectives. Um, as it turned out, uh, yep, it was a, almost perfectly deployed. As obviously, someone quite clever has written that mission. Um, and, it, and it worked out perfectly. There was one in his half, one, in, one dead in the middle, and one in my half um i had more units than he did it was a it was uh, i should have said it, i played ashley and he had a russian horde list um and i had just enough units to be able to go and take those sort of the center objective and the right objective um it was a good game uh, the the sandstorm never dissipated the entire game and it never left so we end up sort of fighting through the sandstorm so um and he he didn't he had a a two of the is it Ziz three is that mm-hmm. what you call them a couple of pretty oh, yeah. big anti tank guns and he'd set them up but uh, you know the way the terrain worked he never really got the line of sight he needed and a couple of shots at my Sherman with hard cover and various things never really uh, made a dent to it and my Sherman was able to sort of own one of the flanks overall uh, we had a really good game we we got our first win of the the weekend. My son was super stoked, as was I, and he was a great opponent. Um, so we had a lot of fun that game, and it was a good way to end day one for me. Um, I have a few notes on the mission. So, Adam, why don't you go? Yeah, well, I played against uh, Jason, who had some Desert Australians, uh, nicely painted. Uh, he had a couple of squads, sniper, mortar, medium machine gun. Uh, he supported those with a Crusader tank, which is one of my favorites. I do like that. And a Humber armored car. Uh, we naturally we played on a jungle table, uh, and we the 
we had an objective in the middle and then pretty much one on each side. Uh, I lost the sniper war and he also took it. I think he took out my mortar observer and it was a, a very tough canny battle. Uh, I was lucky that he, I'd got my anti-tank rifle in a, in a pretty good central spot sort of. So when he, his armored car would come around the corner, I was in, and I had that on ambush. And uh, so and he sort of like did a come around the corner and duck back sort of thing. And, uh, but my, my AT rifle sort of like held held the armored car at bay. Uh, we had a bit of a tank tankathon, but my Sentinel managed to uh, take out his um, Crusader, which I was thrilled about. Uh, and then, because he was bringing up some squads, sort of from that central objective, I'd many I'd pushed around my Dingo and my Sentinel, sort of around the middle, it was cutting through. To, and brought some also some infantry up to contest the central objective uh but because he had a big squad of aussies there that was never really going to um uh re really come to pass sort of in the time frame and it would have been a very bloody situation if if one of us had really tried to go for it but because he'd had and and that yeah that objective was in like a little piece of jungle terrain uh but because he had some troops spent and he couldn't have come round to the right uh, to actually bring his armoured car around to threaten my stuff. Um, and he couldn't go around the left of the armoured car because my AT rifle was kind of holding him at bay. Uh, so we kind of peaked out a draw, but I got a, it was a slightly winning draw to me because I'd taken as his most expensive unit and I think I might have got his officer as well. So we were sort of like, but that was a, a, a really, it's one of those games where you just didn't know which way it was going to pan out. And he's, mm -hmm. then he's, Sniper was just going, yep, I'll take that out and I'll take that out. And I'm going, oh, I'm feeling really under the pump here, but uh, it was a good game. I left the Fitzroy Pavilion after the drubbing that I got at Adam's hands at game two. And I had a long, hard talk with myself. And I may have looked in the sink in the tropical grotto that was the men's room and <laughs> reflected on life. <laughs> and I uh, got a little fired up and was ready, uh, was ready to bring the, bring the pain in uh, game three and will be whoever I ended up playing in game three. And I was very happy and pleasantly surprised. And it bit that aggressive. Let's let's it's game time uh, right on the nose or nipped it in the bud uh, because I was playing a Bruggerman. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, the Demo Gamers were or one of the groups that really helped bring Bolt Action to life in Australia uh, back in version one and through the beginning of version two and onward. They're famous for doing the index in the Bolt Action book that so many of us have stuck to the inside of our front cover. It's a family that has demoed the game countless times. Um, they've supported events. They've always been huge champions of the Bolt Action community. Dead Set Legends, the dad in particular, David, is so active, um, or was for a long time. They did take a little step back for a little while, but now the sons are a lot older, and I was playing Peter, who I have known forever from the bolt action scene, but I remember him being a very young man, and now he's grown up, and uh, he brought a really cool French list. He had a veteran FT-17, one of those little tanks that you know, the one-man turret. He had a Char 2C. He had a captain and two lieutenants. He had all sorts of wild stuff in this list, but it it really worked. 
on the tabletop. And we were playing uh, on an Italian table through the middle of a little Italian village with some hills on both sides and some trees and a few olive groves. And um, yeah, it was it was really nice. And then I got to play the uh, we patch joked about it earlier. I'm the author of Supply Drop. Um, so getting to play that mission with that man on that table with that army was just a joy. And that mission I play tested and I do keep notes. It was the 13th time I'd played supply drop and every other time I played supply drop one objective drops in the middle and then two other ones drop equidistant in opposite directions across the board. It's designed to be symmetrical and fair. Well, every single time I've played that mission, it's either ended up along the long table edge in a line down the middle or kind of a diagonal off of that. So I, I went super wide with my list and forward. So I was about on that halfway mark getting ready for the supplies to drop. And of course, um, this is the first time I'd ever seen this happen. They actually dropped in a perfect line straight down the center of the board the other way. So I all of a sudden had to do this wheel maneuver where half my force dove at my own objective, um, which was by my navel on my table edge, and then run aggressively through the middle of his army to try and get to his objective. And it was a ripper of a game. We had such a good time. And um, yeah, uh, it, it was very close. But uh, it was also cool in that we went to the end of turn seven. And uh, I won the game on the last die roll, the last die pull. It was a truly wonderful uh, way to finish the first day. And so at the end of the first day, I went one, one, and one. Um, yeah. Now, I did talk to a number of players at the event um, about Supply Drop. Uh, it has been played internationally a fair bit, and it was used at a couple of big events last year, both at CanCon at Moab and a bunch of Melbourne events. And um, when Supply Drop was originally put forward, it was a combination of I believe Heartbreak Ridge and Kitty Hawk Down. Uh, and Kitty Hawk Down, the objective comes in on turn three. And one of the big bits of feedback that we heard all the time was, have the objective come in on turn four, which I never wanted to do. However, I did this time. Through playtesting was that people seemed to like it in turn four, and we kept it that way. Uh, well, now that the official pack is out, quite a few people at the event mentioned, hey, this should be on turn three, not turn four. Uh, so, <laughs> and having played it a lot of times since it's now finally well in the run-up to coming out i was sort of on the fence either way and then i played it of course at the event and having played it this time i'm thinking it might need to be turn three if you have strong feelings ladies and gentlemen please contact cast dice c-a-s-t-d-i-c-e on facebook and message me and let me know your thoughts on supply drop or go to the Bolt Action Alliance and do the same. Uh, because uh, I am very strongly thinking about uh, editing a couple of the missions in the pat, given the feedback we've gotten. And that seems to be the contentious issue. I would love to hear your thoughts, but more to the point, please don't just think about it. Please put it on the table, play it, and then let me know what you think. Why? Leave it, leave it at turn four is my vote. Oh, interesting. I like it. I, I like the maneuvering beforehand and 
um, the, the further along the game it is, the, the more important your pre-positioning is. And sometimes you just have to take a bit of a chance, um, yeah. you know, and then, and then have a go at it at the end. Like, like, I just think if you're, you're dropping it in turn three, you've got three turns to, to correct any mistakes that you might've made. Um, whereas turn four, you know, that that's not available to you. So I like that bit of risk attached to it. Yeah. That makes sense. Adam, what do you think? Uh, I'm with Patch. I like turn four. I was thinking about, um, because there are quite a number of other scenarios or plenty of scenarios where you know exactly what's going to happen and how you deploy your troops. But the the sort of like turn four mad scramble and sort of like, I've got to all of a sudden reorient uh, my forces. I think that's quite a good challenge um, to keep, uh, you know, because if somebody's got like the perfect positioning, I, I think the sort of like, but then the, all of a sudden the, the the objectives change. That mad scramble can make the game even more interesting because um, you think you're going down one path and all of a sudden it's, it goes to another. I mean, there's always that risk of sort of being too upsetting, but I think it's uh, it's it's very different from the other scenarios and I like that, um, the fact it does change and, and, and you just don't know how the the objectives are going to play out on the table. Um, I think it's good as it is. Just one final comment on uh, Dave Bruggerman. I thought it was fantastic to see him there and sort of because it had been a while. But I'd yeah. also note that uh, when he'd set up his demo games, it was nearly always on a fantastic table. Right. Now, just to devil's advocate, I heard a lot of people saying they wanted it to be in turn three because getting through games of bolt action uh, in a timely fashion at an event can sometimes be difficult. And a lot of people were saying that they didn't get much further than turn four or five. So it didn't give people a chance to really get to the objectives once they dropped. And I can understand that. We did intentionally streamline the deployment of that mission to prevent that from happening. But for international event play, especially when you know, different TOs may have different round times and, you know, different density of terrain and whatnot. It, it is worth, I think, considering a turn three drop. You still have a couple of unknown turns of what's going to happen, uh, but then you really do need to kind of hustle to get where you're going. And I mm. felt that even though we got to turn seven in my game, because it dropped in the exact opposite of the way that I expected it to, even though I was kind of meta playing it and knowing where it should drop, it was uncomfortable to get there. And if I hadn't, you know, but that I didn't want other people to have that experience as well, but I, I guess I do. That's the purpose of the mission is to, to run. So I don't know. It, I so enjoy it. I enjoy it. Though, it's a lot of fun. Time management is part of the mission. And this is yeah. the thing is that, um, I, I experienced a lot. And I saw a lot of people, I guess, you know, making a lot of those really low percentile shots rather than mm -hmm. use a judicial use of down order um, to, to hasten the hasten the round. Like I saw a lot of, oh, yeah, I need sixes on sixes for this entire squad of 10 men. I'm going to roll those dice. Knowing that, the chance of success are so low. Um, but... I guess, you know, for me, it's more about, well, you know, let's get to the end of turn six. Is this really a, is this going to result in something occurring here or, or are we just going to waste four or five minutes or whatever it might be 
in in rolling all these dice and going through that action. Um, and so I think from from my point of view, when you look at a mission like Supply Drop, it's like you know we've got to you've got to play the timer uh, as much as anything else because it's part of the mission. Um, so that that was my my sort of take was was I did see a lot of people just rolling a lot of impossible shots, and I know there are circumstances where it comes off, and it's just an amazing bolt action happen moment. Um, but I think we can all agree they're pretty few and far between, and mm-hmm. um, you know, movement, range, hard cover. Oh, I'm going to make that shot. Oh, you're probably not. <laughs> Are you though? Yeah, look, you I'll be know? guilty of some of those hail mary plays. I get it, uh, but you're right. The odds are never, ever in your uh, favor for that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, look, that's that was that. But that's that was that was game three. Um, really enjoyable first day for me. Uh, it was so enjoyable. Like we had organized for my son um, not to come on the second day. He was going to stay at home, and then his mother was going to take him to the party, so I could I could play the two games but he was just so into it and just so amazed he's like i really want to go i just want to go and he kept into me um and so i was like well you know what i'd rather play one game with him so he could be there than play the two games by myself um so i said yeah mate get in the car we're going to play bold action on 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 saturday um and then i organized with peter that if a if a um, buy became available in the last game, then I would I would take that. So I think that that was an excellent like I'm really happy with that. Um, and he just had a ball. Uh, so I'm trying to think what was the mission for game four, the first game on Saturday. Getting troops off the back in the backboards. That's the one. So you had you got points for for units on their side of the table, and then you got more points if your units were within their deployment zone at the end of the game. Um, so I played Lachlan, who had a, a not dissimilar Russian horde to Ashley. Uh, I think it was eighteen or nineteen dice. I remember looking at the list, just going, "Oh, it had um, was it four anti tank rifles, sis <laughs> three. It, it just had lots of things, and it was just like I looked at the list and went, "Oh." This is going to be really, really hard for me. And uh, we had a bit of miscommunication to start off with in relation to some of the terrain. So I set up my 25-pounder and any t- uh, sorry, 25-pounder and medium machine gun in a in a spot which he ended up having direct line of sight to, uh, and I thought Ooh. he hadn't. Um, so they got taken out turn one, which was um, a bit of a thing. Uh, but there was a row, the, t- the, t- the table was sort of uh, a- another jungly sort of a table from memory. And you had a river running through the middle and we just had to have a bit of an agreement because the river, I had wheeled vehicles and like, <laughs> you know, there was yeah. one road through the middle, which I could do wheeled vehicles and it, it just felt, yeah. So we, we sort of had a bit of an agreement on that that wheeled vehicles could move. It wasn't impossible terrain or rough terrain. That wheeled vehicles could get through it at a, a normal move. But there was this road that went up the middle of the table. And I'm like, well, I've got these three vehicles and he's looking at me and he's got a, a big Russian anti-tank gun and he plopped it right on that road, which looks straight down the table. And and I'm like, I, I, just, I just don't know how I'm going to overcome this. But uh, this is where my son comes in and a bolt action moment happened. And uh, he said to me, 
you know, because we're always conferring it uh, throughout each turn and dice. And I often would just give, say, mate, what do you want to do? And you'd say, I'll do this and say, well, let's give it a go. Let's just give it a go. No sheep stations here we're playing for. And he said, I'm going to move this anti-tank rifle team up and I'm going to take a shot at, you know, long range movement at his anti-tank gun. I'm like, sweet. Like, what can go wrong here? Uh, hitting on fives, whatever it's going to be. So he moves the little, my little anti-tank rifle team up, bearing in mind that this anti-tank gun was preventing my vehicles from ever going to get into his half of the table. So Tyron rolls a six to hit. And we're like, yeah, high five. This is awesome, man. You're going to, do, you're going to kill a bloke here. Uh, and then he rolls six to wound. And I'm like, oh, oh. And he's getting excited. And, and, and we're all going, okay, you know what happens if you roll another six, don't you, mate? He's going, yeah. And he rolls a six. Yes. <laughs> and the anti-tank gun blows up. And it was this just this bold action moment. And of, of the entire weekend, that one moment just really stands out to me because, you know, whilst I say before impossible shots and stuff, sometimes bold action happens. And he just thought that was the best thing in the world. Look, as a result of that, it opened up that road. My next turn, I, I just brought the Sherman up as a run, which ended up in his deployment zone and without anything really to counter it. And then we sort of grinded away uh, for the rest of the game. And I, and uh, I think Lachlan's probably only uh, where he went wrong is he probably held back a little bit and was defensive. And I think um, for those of us are relatively experienced with that mission, you just know you just got to be super aggressive. Uh, and the more, if you can get the momentum up, and get the initiative and you start to get across into their side of the table early in the game, then they become defensive and want to fight you to keep you out, but it's preventing them from going into your side of the table. Uh, to the end of that game, I had more units than he did and we got a win. So, and that was uh, the big takeaway from that one is you've just got to be aggressive. You're going to lose some units and that's okay. Get across yep. the table. So that was that. Uh, that was turn uh, game four for us. We had a great time, um, and we sort of really ended our weekend on a high. Yeah, I played uh, against uh, Chris with his uh, beautifully painted Africa Corps. I think he ended up being the best Axis general, so a really canny player. Um, and it was on a Stalingrad table, and uh, which was really cool. It had all this fantastic uh, ruins and and uh, lots of. Uh, site blocking things he to his army was a um a panzer three with i think a light gun he had a panzer one and it's always fantastic to see a panzer one on the table two horse trucks which he loaded up with two engineering squads with flamethrowers uh and an officer uh, i think he had a motorbike combo uh recce or a motorbike one of those motorbike things uh, a couple of big squads of infantry, uh, a medium machine gun, and which uh, caused and a sniper, which caused me all sorts of problems, and a two one of the two fifty half track um, reconnaissance vehicles, uh, and that was set up on his left, and I'd set up my medium machine gun there because it's the same turret as a two two two, and then I probably found out that it doesn't count as a closed top, uh, an open topped on the um, half track recce version. So I realised I couldn't scratch it. I went, oh, okay, I have no anti-tank power on the right-hand side because my two, my 18-pound was far left to sort of block that zone there, which 
as a deterrent, which worked. The other side of the building, my anti-tank rifle was sort of covering the middle and my, my sentinel was in a central position. And that was a really uh, tough battle. I got really lucky early with a long-range shot at his, one of his horses, uh, which blew it up. So that was a nice kill, except his officer and his... Um, in fact, I think his officer died in the in when it, when that blew up. So that was his second officer, his junior officer. Uh, but then his flamethrower squad, engineer squad, jumped out of that and had to do the long march across the table. Mm-hmm. His Panzer, and he kind of took this a, a central move forward with his other horse and engineers to a more central position uh, behind some heavy cover. And I was sort of uh, sending my sentinel up to try and take on his Panzer three. Um, had a couple of shots at it and uh, couldn't hit a barn door. Um, mind you, he didn't really do any good with his tank either. Uh, but then with his uh, his engineer squad, hit me hit my Sentinel in the flank with a Panzerfaust, uh, which uh, sadly uh, killed off my Sentinel. Then I followed up with a nice anti-tank shot of his in heavy cover with his Panzer three and uh, just managed to get a couple of pins on that one. But in the meantime, I was just doing my usual thing of flying around pins. I did whiz up my uh, Bren carry with my commando squad to jump on some ruins after I put a lot of pins on his uh, central squad at the back uh, and then jumped out into some ruins, point blanked into his engineers, which finished them off. It was very satisfying. I then dashed up my Jeep. I I think I unloaded my officer team and then sprayed his officer who was a single man by that stage to take out his uh, his off his other officer? Then I jump back into the jeep, and then and I sent up my my armored car up the guts to uh, again add some more firing into his central squad. And in the meantime, so that had a lot of pins on it. And then he had another big squad which was advancing forward, but because of the MMG and the rule where it's a guaranteed pin plus one if you hit. That squad in heavy cover got a lot of pins on that one, which I supported with my scout squad. But in the meantime, his half track was recce was just like rolling up up my left flank, and I had nothing to stop it, so I didn't bother. And then right at the end, he managed he got hit that recce uh, half track into my backboard, but I'd moved my officer team up, so I'd, I'd run my jeep up into his backboard, jumped out, so my officer team was. Still within the twelve inches, but just adding more spraying into the the, the rear squad in there. Um, so it was a really tough, challenging battle again, uh, which ended up in a draw. And I got a slight advantage because I, I killed his officer, um, and but he killed my uh, my tank, which was my expensive unit. So that was uh, that was a really challenging, tough battle. And um, yeah, another really good, well designed army, uh, and a real challenge for me. So good game. I went to the jungles in my fourth game and I ended up playing against a veteran British player uh, who had a lot of commando squads. He was playing MSU. So lots and lots of small veteran squads all tooled up. And I wasn't sure how I was going to, I mean, it was really heavy jungle. So I had very limited driving arcs, but I had more than the bocage. So I was a little nervous and thought, well, time to be aggressive. That's what the mission calls for. And basically put pedal to the metal, put my whole army 
as far down his throat as I could and basically parked my entire army just over the halfway line. And um, at the end of the game, I had something like, I think, nine order dice in his table half uh, on top of the kills. And um, yeah, just kind of held him in his deployment zone or just out of it for a large part. My opponent played really well, um, but that one kind of suited me. And um, I think I, I, I chose the right way to play that one. And um, it went fast, but it was he had a beautiful army. It was a beautiful table. It was just, it was a great game. So short and sharp. You did not play in game five. No, that's right. So so Peter came up to me and, and said that there was a buy available in the last game. Um, so I took that and uh, my son and I, you know, departed and, and did life stuff mm-hmm. uh, away from CanCon. So that was that was our weekend as far as games goes. But uh, but you two stayed on. You battled through to the last the last yeah. battle. That's it. In the last round, Adam, I might jump and uh, just to mix it up. I played another veteran German player. Um, he did have some inexperienced squads along the way. When I say veteran, I mean experienced German player. It was a little bit more of what you would consider a medalist than I'd played pretty much previously at the event. Uh, it had the Panzer IV. It had a Panzer One. It had um, you know a lot of Panzer Faust, the multi launcher. Um, you know, all the gubbins that you would expect from a well-tuned German list and an experienced player, no, no less. And um, it was sectors and the game was chugging along. It was going back and forth. It it seemed like we were playing on a, a, a winter board that had a really interesting, really wide road with Bocage on either side down the center of the board. So it kind of divided the board into almost two games, but I was feeling pretty confident about how that one was going. And then it came down to the very, very end of the game. And my opponent asked Pete West, Hey, how many minutes are left in this round? And he said, 60 seconds. Um, at that point I was winning by a fair bit, but my opponent then pulled three of his own dice out of the bag in very short succession and quickly moved units across into my objective, making him having a, a clear win. Thank God we pulled one last dice out of the bag and it was mine and I moved a unit into his uh, and that caused a draw. But it really, <laughs> it really did come down to that last 60 seconds. But uh, it was a very tactical, interesting game. Yeah, it was good to play sectors. I, I don't play it very often. So um, uh, with a lot of the missions that we do for the Bolt Action Alliance pack, I, we end up playing testing them to death forever. Um, but it means that I don't typically play a lot of rulebook missions. So, for example, playing meeting engagement this weekend and sectors was a real nice treat for me. And I feel like everyone knows knows how to play them better than I do because I never play them. But it was still a lot of fun. And it reminds me that I really should play more rulebook missions. Anyway, Adam, how about you? Yeah, well, you just reminded me that Chris also had a uh, a noble Werfer in his uh, deck list, uh, mm-hmm. but he didn't hit anything, so... I forgot about it. Um, my fifth game was against Brad, and he took some uh, Bradley. He took some U, uh, some vanilla US Sherman tank, uh, five six man squads of infantry. I think with an SMG, but two BARs, uh, sniper, medium machine gun, mortar, bazooka, officer team, 
uh, and a, an Air Force uh, observe, air observer. Uh, we played on a, a snow table, pretty balanced, so it didn't really matter which which sector we were on. And uh, <clears throat> and I pretty much sent my uh, my sc scout team forward on on one area, and then sort of we did the usual sort of ready to jump in on uh, on in, into the other ones. Uh, so we we kind of progressed and sort of where he's uh, and obviously we had with his Sherman tank, which was the big beast of the uh, on the table. I was a little bit concerned about that and praying for a, uh, his air observer to roll a one, which uh, naturally it did. Um, so it just and then this it came in and uh, blew up his Sherman, uh, and then it caused a whole bunch of pins on some of his um, other units, and then. Even so, he sort of continued on and was pushing his um, his squads forward. We had a sniper war with his regular uh, sniper against my veteran, uh, which I think I won in turn three. So we had about three shots pinging at each other, and I finally got him. And then, um, <clears throat> but once his Sherman was gone, and it, I basically sort of felt quite free to start pushing forward, particularly with my tank and my armoured car. Uh, when he did call in his second airstrike, he... he Put again, put it on my Sentinel, but by the time that uh, it it managed to actually come in, I was sort of pushed forward and and, and right into his sector, so it was as much a danger to his troops, even if it had um, come in on my on my Sentinel. Uh, with his infantry squads, he was pushing some of those forwards, but only being six man, they were a little bit little bit vulnerable, and uh, I started to just I sent my uh, my my sentinel forward with its uh you know hull and coax machine guns just to bullies infantry cause a lot of pins because he only had pretty much after the sherman was gone he only had his at was the bazooka which he was kind of waiting for my flanking force to come in deep into his table quarter into that but seeing that where his bazooka was i sort of brought him much closer to where my um uh my edge with my jeep and my uh my Bren carrier, and then I sort of like combined, sort of set my Bren, Bren team up, was smashing his um, his infantry with the the eight shots, and then I jumped out with the the ten shots from my the, my commandos. He did have a uh, a light uh, pack howitzer with with the force as well, uh, but that didn't really do much. And then because I'd had troops up nice and close, I just basically managed to kill it because it didn't have the gun shield. Um, so I was kind of like bullying his infantry and then just closed in on, on the table quarter and um, uh, and my even my dingo scout car was sort of took on a full squad and just went up point blank range because I knew he couldn't hurt my car uh, and then managed to kill some troops for some pins. But yeah, that's uh, that that air, air strike really uh, did a number on him and sort of taking out that Sherman, which I think would have been a, a huge difference. The game would have been very different if, if that had survived and he'd managed, for example, to kill my Sentinel. But yeah, that one I managed to uh, to get a win from that one. The the last game of a five, six game bolt action event always feel a little <laughs> sloggy, um, but it's good to pull a win in the last one and to end on a high, right? Yeah, I, yeah, a lot of luck with the uh, with the Sherman, but once that was gone, it was sort of like, well, I've you, I've got big squads and you've got small squads, and I do have veterans, and you're generally and you his entire army was regular, 
so that I had a lot of confidence about pushing forward and then just sort of like spraying pins all over the shop with my vehicles. So yeah. Right on. Nice one. Right. So uh so where did that uh where did that place you, Adam, in, overall? Uh I believe I came ninth, which is I find quite astonishing because I sort of realistically I kind of aim for top half if I'm lucky. Yeah, because I I generally take nineteen forty armies, Belgians and French and British and all sorts of like, you know, anti anti tank rifle and a two pounder gun or something weak. Um but you know, I, I like taking themed armies. I don't mix and match troops. Um, so if I take a full Shimiega army, it'll be all full Shimiega. Uh, I've got two full Gurkha armies, which I'll probably never take um, unless I field them as Gur as uh, Chindits. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that kind of blew my mind that I managed to um, do as well as that. That wasn't my intention. It was really take like a cool looking tank and have fun. So I was pretty oh, chuffed. Was I, th I think it was well deserved and uh interesting point about you know you'd like those sort of early war armies and and as do i and i i noted i played four late war armies um which seemed to be quite common um and we know why because they just have more tools don't they um oh, they have all the bits of kit yep all the nice bits of kit uh so yeah that was a good and and brad yeah i think in last cast we sort of were aiming to be in that mid-range right we uh, did, and uh, I believe 30. I believe there was some discussion between the two of us about who would be higher mm. in the rankings. Mm. I think that was a thing, right? No, I don't remember that. Uh, however, <laughs> all I know is that uh, I came in 23rd and you came in at where? 22nd. 22nd, so you pipped me. Um but, but I don't I, think I, think I did true. because if I think I'm higher alphabetically than you, if you actually look at the score, <laughs> I think to be fair, I think we actually tied. It, it'd um, be on those. Uh, it'd be on those minor victory points, right? That would be the the deciding factor. Even um, then, I think uh, I'm. It's, it's I believe to say we're evens, right? I I believe we tied <laughs> that one. Um, but yeah, it was it was an excellent event. If I have to jump in here and say that uh, what listeners may not know is you were like the terrible two twins because not only were you sort of like, you know, neck and neck in where you sat on the rankings, you also both took Sea Camis and you also took both wearing uh, Ghost Army podca uh, podcast T-shirts. This did. is true. This is true. Uh, many you were holding hands us. throughout the entire tournament. We yep, were. Many people mistake us for twins. It's true. Uh, <laughs> I'm the better looking one. Um, but I thought I might just, uh, just as a bit of a roundup as we move on, um, I just want to point out some things, that, some notes that I made of the weekend, uh, you know, takeaways for me. Um, yep. One is that the up and atom rule for the British surprised a lot of people uh, and was incredibly good, especially with. The, the small five-man Gurkha teams. Mm -hmm. um, I would hate to see 10-man Gurkhas. And, and like Adam said, that it kind of the rules have probably uh, negated your ability to take Gurkhas um, just because they're just so incredibly hard and, and good for the points that they, that they cost. Um, my next takeaway is that 10-man regular squads uh, are just so resilient. They really are. Um, you know, if you've got, like I did, a core of three 10-man squads, it just takes a lot to get through them. 
and they formed a really good base for me to work around. Medium tanks, so my Sherman was not destroyed in any of my games, and I never faced more than a light tank, which I found interesting. Uh, obviously, the meta has shifted to a certain extent, perhaps away from some of those medium. Uh, I certainly didn't see any heavy tanks to more light tanks and mobile forces. Now, I've made a note here and it says wheeled vehicles suck. Um, <laughs> and I think that is because I played on a lot of really dense tables with rough ground and my ability to move those those vehicles around was really limited and it was very easy to get stuck if you made just the wrong move and uh, it just became uh, a real thing for me uh, and I think that if I had to sort of have my time again I'd probably shift away from the Indian carriers to Bren carriers I mean they're exactly the same vehicle except one's tracked and one's, one's wheeled just to allow that rough ground being able to conquer that rough ground um, and I know wheeled vehicles have the extra movement. Uh, at times it did help me, but at the same time, I think I probably more hindered me than helped me having wheeled vehicles. Although I love the Indian carriers, I think it just needs a particular table um, to, to and, and things. So I probably would think twice about taking my main kind of, you know, Gurkha force or my main hard-hitting hammer force in... in the actual wheeled vehicles as well. So that was that was my takeaway. The last one, uh, and I don't want to sort of end too much on a negative, but I just it, I had nightmares again and again facing units that were small teams and going down. Uh, it was it, they they were just veteran small teams going down were just impossible to shift. Really, really difficult. So and then anyway, let's let's hope that gets fixed up as the as the time goes by. So they're, they're my takeaways. I had a really great experience. I fully intend to go back next year to CanCon. I'll probably run my French Foreign Legion because um, they're my favorite army. Uh, and uh, and that's where I'm at. So what were some of your takeaways, Adam? I thought my AT rifle did brilliantly. Um, consisted consistently well. I must have been, I came away, th- I mean, I've always been a huge fan of the the, the Bren Carrier uh those sort of transports anyway, but I also a fan of uh, wheeled vehicles. I mean, I like my dingo scout car on wheels as a, as a recce. I do like that extra movement. I found my Jeep because I took it uh, basically nude for 21 points. So just a purely transport, I found that was particularly useful coming in on the flank, dashing forward, small, small enough to sort of take, suck a, suck a bit, a bit of cover. And um, cause no, I've, Although I, I guess I didn't wasn't any on any dense terrain tables, uh, so I always had some some room for manoeuvre. Um, but I was in I'm enamoured enough with wheeled wheeled vehicles, I should say, that I've ordered a couple of uh, white scout cars uh, for my American and Russian mm. armies because I think it's pretty handy for recce for the US. And I'm not true, not entirely sure what I use my Russian one for, but I'll have another one. Yeah, so that was. Uh, I was sort of came away thinking I was pretty damn lucky, really, more so than anything else. So I wouldn't know really what the meta was. I certainly, uh, I think there is a bit of a bit more of the things like this uh, reconnaissance motorbikes because um, they're so nippy and and you can have a few of them. So I thought that that's a nice one. 
yeah, you're right. Apart from the 2C, I didn't even hear about any other heavy tanks. There were a couple of uh, Panzer 4s. I did see a yep. couple of people take the Panzer 4 AA with the closed turret, which looked like with two auto cannon on. Mm -hmm. uh, they seemed to, they, they're very cool looking, but they also were look uh, must be quite effective because Armour yes. 9, I guess, from Panzer 4, twin AA, auto cannon close top means they're quite they're going to be quite resilient and pour out a truckload of firepower they were a, um, they were a prototype and uh apparently only two ever mate two were only ever put into production and saw combat and and oh, they were okay. both on that table in that army i was gonna say <laughs> they were both in that army yeah yep. another bloke had another one so uh i did see that um should just a, did... just a side adam like um what i find interesting is that once Panzerfear was removed from Panzer Fours, it probably yeah. really affected the decision making of German players uh, as to the effectiveness of of going them. Maybe that's it, you know. And looking for other vehicles that were more, you know, Panzer Fours are your stock standard vehicle, right? You know, and there's probably yeah. other options. I'm not sure if that if that had an effect or not. Um, but uh, yeah, look, maybe maybe. I I, th I think I haven't looked at the the points value of that thing, but having you know twin twin auto cannon and close top on a, on a medium tank, that's going to take some stop in. He can dish out an awful lot of hurt, and I don't know if it has a hull machine gun as well, but that's an awful lot of firepower to chew up a lot of infantry, even in cover. Um, so that looks pretty handy. Um, I'd never take it, of course, because it's not nineteen forty. Yeah. But there was a, there was a couple of lists I think that had three tanks because I. There was, I think Brian Medbury had three T-34s with a right out of the factory list. list. And the tank factory list. Yeah. And I think, wasn't the Romanian, didn't I have three Panzers in that as well? Like two Romanian and a, and a guest German one? I'm not sure. I'm not mm. sure. But um, I'm just thankful I didn't face more than medium and light tanks myself. Um, yeah. I, I, I guess the other thing that, what I liked about CanCon and, and how it was organised, and this, the, and it, because Peter was so rigid with the timing, I had time to actually go and um, shoot around and uh, actually see some of the stalls and pick up a few bits and pieces. So I nipped into War and Peace and picked up uh, a, a British Canadian box with the support troops because I need another British army, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, and then I managed to get a BT seven. Uh, lucky enough to get that for the uh, in the prop part of the prize pool, so I'm pretty chuffed with my uh, bolt action acquisitions over the weekend. That's good, Adam, because I, I was really worried that um, I think June 1940 hasn't been covered accurately. Uh, so whilst you have all the other 11 months of the year covered with your different forces, June was a bit light on. So maybe the, the Canadian force can cover that. Well, I've got, I've got a late, I do have a late war British force, but they're not in green. They're more in English uniform. So, you know, it uh, makes yes. And Brad, Brad, <laughs> tell us, tell us your, uh, your hot takeaways from, from the CanCon. I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but I've been thinking a lot about CanCon, both waiting for the plane on the way home. And that got me thinking since. In trying to not stress out about this event, I woefully unprepared. And I normally go through months and months and months of anguish for big bolt action events of what list am I going to take? I have a ton of painted armies, including an army that I 
I had two armies that I had been painting specifically for a CanCon event. I had the GI Joe army that I'd been converting for years um, that I initially had planned. And the only reason I shifted from that plan was um, the the ruling was that it's for World War II armies, which is perfectly sensible. So I pulled my plan. I then was kind of end of the school year exhausted and having like, I just don't know what army to turn in um, or even to get painting. And Pete West suggested, since you were taking the Seeks, I should take the Seeks because I'd recently, well, a year ago, rebought my Seeks back from Vivid Knights of Dice. And I played the hell out of my Seeks when I got them back from Viv. So much so that you were there, Patch, and you mm. played with my Seeks, and you liked them so much that you played Seeks this year. I did. Um, but again, I haven't played a lot since about May. Again, after the Bolt Action Alliance mission pack went to print, I stopped playing pretty much both with the new school year and a bunch of other games I was covering for the podcast. And I just assumed my enthusiasm for my seek list would just carry over. But very quickly playing at this event, I did not feel it at all. Um, And yeah, I didn't have a good run at the beginning and that was because I wasn't prepared, but I... I should have played like if you listen to the takeaways from me playing at the Marvel crisis protocol event at CanCon last year, my big takeaway was play some practice games, be ready. You know, don't have to freak out and play to slay everyone coming your way and noob stomp everyone, but be prepared, give your opponent a good game. And I completely ignored all of that advice walking into CanCon this year, just thinking, running off of the, I've played Bolt Action for so long, and I've played so many games of it, that clearly I know what I'm doing, and it's going to be fine. And I I slept like a baby uh, running up to the event. I had no problems walking in. But um, yeah, I just, I played poorly uh, initially. And then when I did play, I wasn't super enjoying my army. So I should have done more thinking about the event in advance. And the other army that I had been painting everything for was a Soviet Black Death Army that I had spent, I poured countless hours painting. And it's the best bolt action army I own, appearance-wise. And I painted it. And I just needed to paint like another 15 models to make it playable. And rather than doing the hard yards, um, I just took something out of the case that I already had. And it didn't feel right um, after the event. I feel like I would have had a better time enjoying something that I'd poured so much time and effort into, um, putting that on the tabletop and playing instead. I don't think, I think it would have been a less effective army, quote unquote, meta wise, but I think I would have probably done better because I would have played a couple games with it and I would have come in with the right headspace. And I feel like, because it would have been a new challenge for me and my ADHD brain, I feel like I would have had more fun and I think I would have done better because of that, if that makes sense. So in retrospect, I'm not saying I'm never going to play the Seeks again, but I definitely overplayed the Seeks and then expected to be as excited running into this event, but having not practiced and then kind of walking in going, uh, I could have, we have fixed that with one practice game 
I, I think definitely you uh, you enjoy things so much more when you've got a bit of a passion project. So examples, yeah. Adam, with his Australian Army, it was just such yeah. a unique cause. Ain't no one else turning up for that. He's he sweated blood and tears over that over that list, um, mm-hmm. and he was going to oh. enjoy himself no matter what. And the same with with me, um, you know, to a lesser extent extent with my Sikhs, I, I was just really into it, and yeah. uh, I, I, you know, and 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 also the other aspect is uh, I've found this this absolute new zest uh, for playing war gaming and everything, you know, with my son and, and seeing the enjoyment yeah. through his eyes, which has really created a, a new thing for me. So I think, you know, okay. going into these events, you've got to have that, you've got to have that passion. Um, you've got to have that enjoyment because she can be a very hard slog is what you're sort of uh, getting at here, Brad, when you, yeah. you quickly find out that perhaps you've not, um, you've not, chosen your army correctly so but overall you know it, it, is, a, a, it is a good takeaway yeah i had a great time i had a wonderful yeah. time i don't regret going at all i just you know friends doesn't hurt to think about this for a couple of minutes before showing up sometimes i think that's my <laughs> big takeaway anyway sure. yeah sure. I, absolutely i have to say the biggest thing though and i said it before let me say it again the most wonderful part about going up to these events is just the wonderful atmosphere and seeing so many people that you get to see what once a year or yeah. once a decade in some cases, just being able to see so many old friends or make new friends in, in such a, a, a such a, a vibrant, wonderful atmosphere for gaming is just, it makes going to these things fantastic. It actually made me kind of want to, because I was having stomach problems after the first night going into the second day with three hours sleep because I I'd been up all night and then, you know, not really enjoying my army. Just, I volunteered to Pete West. Like if you have an odd number of players, I'm happy to drop. If only just to go, you know, check out the games on other tables, um, which I was able to do after my second game, um, which was great being able just to go check out other things. And if you have the chance to ever get up to CanCon, especially to play in a Pete West bolt action event or a bolt action event at CanCon anyway, it's always a spectacle. It's 100% worth it. It is so much fun. And the yeah. people are wonderful. The culture is great. It is always worth it. So that's my big takeaway. Just CanCon rules. Yeah. Get up there, friends. 100%. So, such a great community. Um, after not playing for, I think it's five years you know mm-hmm. just welcome back in um all you know a lot of old heads were there you know welcoming me back saying how nice it was to see me and um uh, and just enjoying you know everyone being there so yeah really good uh, like i said i'll probably lock in next year um probably you know play bold action a few times amongst our local gamers with adam and and some of the others and, and just enjoy it so i think mm-hmm. it's uh i think bold action is as strong as it's ever been um which is a testament i think to the community uh really just maintaining the rage and uh and just keep playing it because it is a solid game uh and it's got a great as i said great passion projects attached to it so i'm really happy yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. There's, you know, and and catching up with blokes from interstate, you know, Victoria and, you know, uh, Jackson from WA. It's the second time he's been there. And, yeah, we're, it, you're genuinely pleased to see these people, seeing people like Dave Bruggeman. It's sort of like mm-hmm. seeing that community back again. It's just like, yeah, this is great. I really enjoyed it. Now, before we go, it should be said that one of us walked out with something 
Adam, what award did you get? Oh, best themed army. Well, very brilliant. Excellent. That's an award to to have some pride in, isn't it? You know, it's it's just oh yeah. Put it together, and you've you've got the best themed army on the table uh, in, in the event, and and fantastic result for you. Oh, I was dead chuffed with that. Um, you know, the the where I placed on the table is is nice, but sort of uh, no. I coming away with best theme was well, I was dead chuffed with that because I, and I I I just wanted to play with my cool tank. You know, you, you can get it through Eureka and Slave to Gaming. It's a brilliant model. Uh, and I thought this is not only a cool model, you know, Australian companies have got this thing, they've designed it, and I think it should have, you know, be able to be used. And uh, and I did get Pete graciously gave, let me take it, and I had great fun with it. Um, so I was quite honoured to win uh, best themed, and I was dead chuffed with that. Amazing. Yeah, and I uh, I missed out on best painted this year, which is the first time I've missed out on best painted at uh, at a cancon I've been to in in a few years. So it just makes me uh, rather than get all sad about it, it just makes me more uh, uh, resolute to do better next time and and capture mm-hmm. the crowd. So congratulations <laughs> to the winner, um, and really good. Uh, Brad, do you want to take us away? Yes, sir. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is always a pleasure to talk bolt action on the Ghost Army podcast. Uh, the Ghost Army podcast is a podcast arm of the Bolt Action Alliance. And while we may not be as, how should I say, prolific as we have been in the past the times, you can find our pictures of our armies and pictures of our events that we play in uh, at the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page. Although there were some good photos also on the Cast Dice Facebook page of CanCon this year. If you search Cast Dice and CanCon, you will see them. Uh, other than that, please do keep your eyes out because Lord knows we might just uh, throw another couple episodes at you in the year to come. So until next time, I hope that uh, as our buddy Casey always says, your dice roll hot, your beverages are cold. But more than that, you're having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.
It's the ghost army.